I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Celtics fans, I hope you're all doing well in the car on the way to work, on the way to the gym, having a jog, walking the dog. I don't know what you're doing, but I hope it's all good. I'm not sure what the weather's like out in Boston, but it's been warm here. I mean, uncomfortably warm. I don't know. I'm so used to rain and cold, dude, that this warmth just throws me for a ringer every single time. Wednesday episode, you know, it's usually a who's going to be on with Adam type of thing. Today, I've got my boy, Will. He's going to be joining me twice this week, today and Friday. Uh, I think that's more my pleasure than his, but how are you doing today? <laughs> what up, Adam? I'm doing good, man. Double dipping this week, man. Hopefully, uh, you know, this isn't the first time we've talked about the weather on here and your, uh, you know, your struggle with the heat, man. You going to make it out there? Yeah, I'm telling you, dude, like, give me a breeze and you can give me 100 degree heat and I'm completely fine. But when there's no breeze and it's just warm for no reason whatsoever, I mean, what we're, we're in September, dude. Usually I'm freezing right now, moaning about yeah, I've got my heating on. I'm in a, I'm in like um a sweat a, a sweater with some like some jeans and some Timberland boots, and I'm shaking with a flask of soup. Right now I'm like <laughs> yeah, I'm in shorts, sliders, and the smallest t-shirts I can find. Yeah, man, I got you. I mean, I I feel like. As soon as September hits, you know, so obviously I live down in Austin, Texas, and my whole view on the weather has changed. In Texas, we just have <laughs> summer and slightly less summer. That's like basically the entire year. And then there's like a two-week block of like winter. But, you know, growing up in Boston right now when September hits, my favorite weather, usually my favorite weather time of the year, weather pattern of the year. You get the nice fall weather. You can do kind of a long sleeve shirt on top, maybe shorts on the bottom sometimes. You get that nice weather where you're hitting like, 60 to 75 degrees sometimes you get that nice little crisp in the air so hopefully i know you said before i think you said uh you know usually england weather is kind of just six hours later than boston or six hours before the weather you get in boston so hopefully it's just around the corner for you my guy yeah seriously dude if, if i speak to like um some boys in boston and they're like hey dude it's snowing i know i'm either going to get snow or real bad rain within yeah. the day within a day or two it's it's crazy how intertwined my our, our weather system is with your east coast i yeah. wish it was more intertwined with the west coast but you know you take what you can get well well here's the thing adam maybe i'll maybe this will give you put a smile on your face here i just came back from uh from philly this past weekend and uh, the weather out there was beautiful man so that east coast weather was hitting perfect this past weekend was like 70 to 75 for three straight days while i was out there so Maybe that's coming your way. So, so keep your head up. A day or two, dude. It'll be here in a day or two. That's what I'm looking forward to now. International man of mystery, dude, in Philly. You was in, in Philly, was man. In enemy territory. Yo, big time. And I got to say, man, uh, I had a chance to, to walk around the city a little bit. Uh, was there for my girlfriend's cousin's birthday party. Got to meet a few people. Uh, man, the Ben Simmons situation. It is on people's minds out there. Was listening to some local sports radio. Was, you know, listening to some of the news. So the second day that I was there, there were these massive rains that came down. It was from uh, Hurricane Ida, like leftover from from that whole storm that hit the U.S. And so New York got hit with it real bad in certain parts of Philly did where there was flooding. And so there were different parts of the streets where like legitimately just water flowing through like main highways. And there was this one news station. And man, I'm like, I tell you, this Ben Simmons situation is not pretty. And so this one news station just came straight for the throat of Ben Simmons. 
they said, you know, real quick, hey, we're going to go to a live shot. We actually have footage of Ben Simmons hastily fleeing the city of Philadelphia. And it was a damn trash can floating down <laughs> the river bend and then hit and then bounced off the top of a highway side. Just completely uncalled for, absolutely out of nowhere, off the top rope with a flying Hogan elbow drop. Just random, like whatever the equivalent of Fox 25 in Boston is, the equivalent in Philadelphia, just throwing shots at Ben Simmons. It's it's getting bad out there, man. Yeah, that's one for the jugular, dude. I couldn't help yeah. but like, start, to, start to giggle. And the thing is, like, you then want, like, as a, as a fan, you're like, why don't these guys want to play on my team? Well, because your news station's taking pictures of trash cans floating down the street. They're like, yeah. yo, there's Ben Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I a mean, whole, it was a whole bit, man. It was like, you guys playing this out. This wasn't an off the cuff remark. This was no, like, no, let's was... have a pre show meeting. What's something we can do to add some levity to the situation? And they just picked to go rag on Ben Simmons, man. So I don't know what's going to happen with that situation, but it's getting pretty fascinating. I'm telling you, dude. All I know is that if someone did that for t- about Tatum for any reason whatsoever, I'm coming for the jugular man. I, I'm, <laughs> it, it's it's not happening, dude. I'm not allowing the slander, and uh, I think that's that's a bit of a difference. Obviously, we're not fed up with Tatum like Philly fans are. Yeah, yeah. Them. There's a different different spot between the two. Yeah, but it is what it is, dude. Like you know, but that's for Philly to worry about. That's not for us to worry about. You are in enemy te- enemy territory. You came back alive, came back safe and whole. We can get onto some, you know, we, we can talk about something in a safe space now. We're in a safe space. We can go Boston basketball and feel very comfortable. We, nobody's going to be taking photos of us floating down the street. I hope, I hope. Please don't be like that, listeners. Please be nice to us. And I think today, well, when and I discussed this off air, so when I say I think, I'm just doing it for the courtesy <laughs> of the show more than anything. But today what we're going to do is we're going to look at, and I put a tweet out about this yesterday, we're going to look at the best passing big men in the league. And the reason I find this interesting is because yesterday I put a tweet out, if anyone saw it, saying that in Rob Williams and Al Horford, the Celtics have two of the best passing big men in the league. A lot of people agreed. Some people were very aggrieved that I was already putting <laughs> Rob Williams in that kind of uh, that that kind of stratosphere. And my argument was, Yo, the passing big men talent pool is rather shallow. I don't see how you can't have Rob Williams in, like, around that 8 to 10 range of best passing bigs just because name me nine better passing bigs than Rob Williams and I'll wait. And people were really aggrieved at this. So I thought, yo, well, what me and you can do to begin the show is we can list in no particular order our top 10 passing big men around the NBA and then we can try and figure out where Al and where Rob will fit within that that ranking system and i'll let you go first all right let's do this and so i I will tell you this i'll preface with this so i tried to come up with 10 and i you know one of the things with with lists is it gets really hard when you get to a certain point like why is this guy five versus six or seven and it's it's harder to kind of differentiate what what really is the difference so i ended up putting my list into three tiers and it was it ended up being roughly about 10 guys so let, I'll start with that, and I'll kind of just use that as my guide to, to where I'm finding people here. So number one, I think, is a pretty clear-cut case. I don't even know if we need to spend much time on it. It's got to be the reigning MVP, Nikola Jokic. I, I don't know that he needs much of an explanation. The man's a wizard when it comes to, to playing basketball. He's arguably probably the best passing big man of all time. I know there's a few other historical names you could throw in there, but I think given the way the modern NBA plays out, Jokic is by far and away – Number one, as I said, I put this into tiers. 
I put a second guy in tier one. Really, I think Jokic kind of lives on his own. I think the guy who I would have number two kind of fits somewhere between what I labeled as my tier one and tier two. And, and I'll just jump into my number two, and that was DeMontis Sabonis. He's the guy that I had at number two. And, you know, let's be real, Adam. We talked about other guys that could be in the conversation. This guy's dad was the one that was in the conversation originally. You know, so it runs in his veins to be that, that passing big man. And he's one of the few big men that has the same creativity that Jokic has, where he can do it from different spots on the floor and can make the same passes that you see a Luka Doncic make or you see a Trey Young make. They're making these type of no-look around-the-back passes. They're doing it, you know, off the dribble. They're doing it from the post. They can do it in different formats. And I think Jokic and Sabonis really stick out above the rest. Jokic is my number one. Sabonis is my number two. Do you agree? I feel like Jokic you probably agree with. Sabonis is where I'm curious to see if you you agree with as well. So I don't have Jokic. Sorry, I have Jokic one. I do not have Sabonis number two. I have him as number four. Okay. Um, I could argue. I could argue quite comfortably and put him at number three. But I definitely have one player above um, Sabonis, and that's Bam Adebayo. So, and I just think that should be because while Sabonis is probably a better passer than what Adebayo is, Adebayo has the offense ran through him more than what Sabonis does, and I feel that alone gives him a bit of an edge because he's a playmaker as well as just a passer. Not only can he make the, the the right reads, but he also hits the passes on time. And I think that that playmaking ability slightly edges out Sabonis there. But that is my one, two, and three. So I'll go Jokic one, Bam two, Sabonis three. Yeah, we're not too far off. Bam's at my, my number three here. And, you know, I think it's interesting with Sabonis. I think that's where you constantly hear Miles Turner's name being a, being in, in, in trade rumors, as all Celtics fans know. And, you know what I mean? I think that's part of where the, the fit doesn't, doesn't line up. That offense should be run through Sabonis. And if Turner's going to be there, he needs to be a better three-point shooter than he is. He's okay. He's adequate. You know, he had a bad year last year shooting the ball, but he's just not quite good enough to give Sabonis the room. But, you know, I think Bam's right there. And one of the things that when I immediately think of Bam, in, in kind of the next couple of guys, this is where I think that they stand out, is that they can go coast to coast, and then they can run the offense. You know, Bam and Duncan Robinson running that dribble handoff on the fly when they're running down court and the defense hasn't set up yet is one of the most devastating two-man operations that, that you can run in the NBA. And then Bam has the ability to handle the ball. He can dump it off to Duncan Robinson. He can then go ahead and drive to the lane and either finish at the rim or find another guy that's cutting or find someone else in space as the defense is still setting up. So I think Bam at number three is a pretty easy call. He's, he's right in that conversation. So I think those three really stood out. For me, the other two guys that I had in my quote-unquote tier two uh, I had, and these ones I, I could be sold on either way when it comes to who I'm putting four, who I'm putting five. Uh, but I put Draymond and I put Carl Anthony Towns. Draymond for me really sticks out just because he's deprecated so much from a scoring standpoint that his entire basis for the offense is how intelligent of a passer he is, the passing lanes he can create, and how he creates that both from running the offense and then also off of that short roll and how, you know, obviously how devastating it can be with the players around him. So I've got Draymond at four and then Carl Anthony Towns at five, who's just an ultra skilled big man that, that can do a little bit of everything when it's going to click and how they're going to make it work. I don't know, man. Good luck with that, Minnesota. I, I don't have the answer for you here, but Carl Anthony Towns is a special big man. So I got Draymond four, Carl Anthony Towns five. Where you at, Adam? So I'm very similar to you. The only difference is if I'm tiering, guys, I've got three in tier one, which is Jokic, Bama, Sabonis, and I've got three in tier two. 
which is Draymond, Cat, and Al Horford. Now, I am a bit torn on Cat and Horford. I think that Horford is a better passer than what Cat is, but Cat benefits from a bit of an increased size and um, he's got more consistent range from deep, which opens up passing lanes for him to, to take um take advantage of so for that reason alone i will have draymond as number four i will have al as number five because i think he's more of a pure passer than what carl anthony town is and then i'll put carl anthony towns at yeah we're, we're not too far off al no, my we're next guy we're, we're, we're pretty much going stride for stride here i mean so the next tier that i had are guys that i view more as lead half court facilitators so these aren't going to be necessarily somebody that's picking the ball up and going coast to coast. That's really the biggest difference for me between Towns and Horford. And really, when Towns does that, he's more looking to score than he is necessarily a facilitator. But it's just a weapon in his arsenal that um, that I don't really see Al having. And with Al, you know, you always kind of have to wonder where Father Time is at. But his passing should be something that he's able to keep going, you know, as, as long as he is. That's not going to be a hindrance the way that, you know, declining athleticism will be. But Al, I think, is at the top of this tier three that I have where – you know, you're going to be able to run your offense through him. He's going to be the guy that can control what's happening on the offensive end. When you get into a half-court set, you can look to Al to kind of set the pace, control the tone, find the right cutters, be able to, you know, and with these bigs, with something that's almost just as important as their passing is their screening ability and how that works both with them with the ball in their hands and off the ball. So, you know, I, I think Al's the choice that I have here at the top of this. And then right below him, and, and he honestly could, this next guy could be someone that climbs higher but I just don't know if it's real enough because it was such a drastic jump last year was Julius Randle. I've always been a big Julius Randle fan. I've had stock in Julius Randle. Last year, between the assist rate, between his three-point shooting, they took such large jumps. I just need another year to prove that it, it, it wasn't a fluke because they were just that drastically different than his first six, seven years in the league. But he is extremely talented. So Julius Randle's who I've got at seven right now. Where you at, Adam? Julius Randall threw me for one, man. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. So <laughs> I'm I happy also, to catch you off guard. <laughs> I also cheated a little bit and took one power forward that I can that doesn't really play much five, but I think um, when he eventually gets playing time for whatever roster he's on, he will begin to play a bit more five due to his age. It's actually his 33rd birthday today on the 7th, and that is Kevin Love. I think Kevin. Hey, Kevin Love. I think he's underrated as a passer. Those pitch passes he can do. He, he's got some good uh, swing passes on him. So just to run through my list again, I've got Jokic, Bam, and Sabonis, one, two, three. Draymond, Carl Anthony Towns, Al, four, five, six. Then I've gone Mark Gasol at seven. Then I've gone Vucevic at eight. And then Kevin Love at nine. Yeah, those are, so two guys that you named right there. I thought about and I left I left out Kevin Love and I left out Marcus All and I think both of them are probably guys that should be on this list. Marcus All I left out just because I, I just don't know how much of a role he's going to play, but he's also in that conversation as probably one of the best passing big men of all time. So when he's on the court, that's absolutely his number one asset to be out there, aside from just his general size. You know, his his being able to see over the defense and you read those passing lanes, that's gonna be his biggest asset. And then Kevin Love, I mean is there, has there been a better outlet passer than Kevin Love? His outlet passes are a thing of beauty. Yeah, I mean, LeBron stole that ability, you saw it, and then like um, Lonzo Ball seems to have perfected it a little bit more, but Lonzo doesn't do it from a baseline. He does it more in transition and gets those long outlet passes. But no, I think um, I think Caleb is sneakily underrated as a passer, and that, that's saying a lot, considering people do talk about his passing skills. 
Yeah, I just feel like with him, I just haven't seen him play in a while yeah. because he hasn't been on the court. So I kind of eliminated Exactly. So I eliminated him for that reason. But I think skill set wise, you know, I think if they find, it sounds like he's probably not going to get bought out from Cleveland. But if he does and somebody can add him, I think he's absolutely an incredible value add. And, yeah. you know, even if he's in a reduced role and that's something that is amplified, I think you're going to get, you know, a steal out of Kevin Love, whoever, whoever ends up with him. Uh, the next guy I had on my list, you mentioned Vucevic. Vucevic was going to come in at number eight for me. I think okay. Vucevic is, is, is a really good and talented passer. And then the next couple of guys that I had on here, you can fit them into 9, 10, and 11. This is kind of where I think Lob Williams fits in. He's one of the guys that I would have in this 9, 10, 11 range. I have him listed, Yusuf Nurkic, and Blake. Those are the three guys that I have that round out my 9 through 11. Uh, And I think, honestly, I think Lob Williams is probably my preferred taste out of all of these. It just needs a larger sample size. So here's the question. So you've gone with Blake Griffin and you've gone with Julius Randle. Those were the two guys that realistically weren't on my list. Mm-hmm. And I had Mark Gasol and Kevin Love on my list that weren't on yours. So yep. that gives us, let's go. We've got Jokic, Bam, Sabonis, Draymond, Carl Anthony Towns, Al Horford, Mark Gasol, Nikola Vucevic, Rob Williams, Julius Randle, Kevin Love. And who else did you say? You gave me one more. Uh, Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin. Out of all those guys, can you make an argument for Rob Williams sitting at that temp spot so there'll be four guys behind him? I mean, I, I think you can. It's 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 here's the thing. I don't think you can do it right now with the statistical evidence that we have. If you're just using the eye test, I think you can. But with yeah. the statistical evidence we have, I, I don't think that's possible. I went looking for all different types of stats <laughs> that I could make that. The closest one, I did come up with one that I think puts him in an elite category, and that's assist to pass percentage. So last year, he made on average 18, uh, excuse me, 19.3 passes per game, averaged 1.8 assists per game. That put him at 9.3%. The only guys ahead of him on this list are Carl Anthony Towns, Julius Randle, Nikola Jokic, and Bam Adebayo. So that puts him in that elite category that when he is making that pass, it's leading to a scoring opportunity for the Celtics. So, you know, I think once we get it, and this is one of the things where like, you know, Robert Williams is a PER darling, where he ends up in the realm of Anthony Davis, LeBron James, all of these guys. And and so I think just with a larger sample size, if he remains healthy, these are the type of, of things that you can expect from Robert Williams. So so I think eye test wise, you can put him in there. Statistically, it's, it's really hard to... To, to show that there's enough body of work for it. But but he's right there. The, the, the bottom line is whether or not you can actually fit him into that top 10. He's right there with these class of bigs that actually have a very valuable asset, which is uh, being one of the best passers. So here's my thing, right? So if you have him at 10th or you have him at 12th, when you look at the fact that there's 30, there's 30 teams in the league, there's a center on every team and there's a backup center on every team so then you're saying right there's 60 centers in the nba at any given point just going on like a obviously it might be skewed there might be 70 80 there might be 40 or 50 i'm just saying just like as a as a numbers game say the 60 rob williams is sitting around that 12th position as as a best passing big in the league we've both got al horford in that six to eight range as a best passing big in the league no other team really has the ability to take one of the best passing bigs in the league off the floor and then replace them with another one. And the scary thing about Rob is, in potential terms, he has the ability to be a top three passing big man in the league if he can stay healthy and continue to develop that skill set. And that was where I was coming from with the tweet, and that was where I wanted to lead this fourth exercise onto, is just how much more 
improved at the Celtics as a playmaking unit in the fact in the sense that everyone on this roster seems to be able to handle the rock a little bit. They seem to be able to facilitate for others a little bit. Uh, again, two of the best passing bigs in the league. You've got Tatum that's going to take another step forward as a playmaker. Brown, who's going to take another step forward as a playmaker. You've brought in Josh Richardson. Dennis Schroeder's assist numbers are fool's gold, in my opinion. Um, I've spoke about that at length, so I'm not <laughs> going back into that again. But as a, as a unit now, every single person can, can create for somebody else. And that's what led me down this entire train of thought yesterday and what wanted, made me want to talk about this on today's podcast is from your where you're standing, where you're sitting, half-court creation was one of the biggest flaws in last year's roster, especially with the second unit, where it even bled into that starting five. How much do you see that being different this year due to the amount of creation they now have on both units? Oh, I see it being night and day. I mean... You and Greg went through the lineups the other day, which I thought was a great podcast. And I really liked the way that y'all broke it down and gave the different reasonings behind it. And, you know, to steal from our guy, Greg, here, we have a roster that is now full of, you know, roughly eight or nine guys that can all pass, shoot, and dribble. You know what I mean? They all have opportunities to make different things happen depending on the scenarios in which they're put in. Where last year we ran out a lot of guys like Semi Ojale and, you know, Carson Edwards that, you know, they're, they're, they really have one skill set that they must do once the ball hits them. They, they just don't have a lot of that, you know, variability to be able to create something else within that movement. So I think this is going to be huge for the offense. And you touched on it towards the end when you started to get uh, a little bit weird with your rotations, but it was something that I had thought about as well. You know, I, I think Celtics fans have a little bit of PTSD, as you and Greg talked about from this double big lineup from the past year. But when you're doing it with Rob Williams and uh, Al Horford versus Daniel Tyson, Tristan Thompson, that's a world of difference. There's a world of difference of what you can do and the players that you're surrounding them with. And while I don't think that's going to be a go-to lineup, I, I would kind of hope that we do see it at, at certain points. Because I do think when you go up against the Bucks, you go up against the Sixers at times, there's going to be times where you need to have you know, those two bigs on the court playing against the Lakers, if we get that, you know, thinking ahead to, to different matchups that could play out, there will be opportunities for that lineup to be on the floor. And because of the passing abilities of Rob Williams and Al Horford, and one being a little bit of a stretch, one being a vertical threat, you have different ways that you can utilize. And I think that's going to be one of the more fascinating lineups that we do get to see in small stretch. Man, can you imagine those two guys running a horn set? I love it, man. I would, yeah. I'm really curious to see to see if Ime can find a way to utilize that lineup. That horn set would be the perfect way of getting the best out of both um, Horford and Williams. Because all you're going to do is have them set a double screen in a horn, have Rob Williams just barrel to the rim and just cause absolute mayhem on defensive rotations. And then Al Horford's going to pop. And now all of a sudden defenses don't know where to go because the guy with the ball in his hand is going to be someone like Jason Tater. So you've got to respect Jason, but now you've got to respect the Rob Williams role and you've got to respect the Al Horford pop. And then you've still got two other guys that are most likely going to be like Jalen Brown and Neesmith exactly. or Jalen Brown and Dennis Schroeder or whoever you want it to be. It's, man, some of the stuff that they're going to do is really going to bend defenses to a breaking point. And I think that when I look at what Brad Stevens done, there hasn't been no superstar change, but he's created a team that's so versatile and everybody's multi-skilled and all of them are long. They've got good size. 
I just don't know how teams are going. Teams are going to literally it's pick your poison. You yeah. either want you either want JT to beat you off the dribble, or you want to take away um, a baseline drive from Jalen Brown and allow Al Horford to kind of roam around the wing unchecked. It's going to be real tough. The switching is going to be a nightmare for whoever they come up against. Yeah, I mean, I tried to do the exercise that you and Greg went through the other day on the podcast, and that was tough. It, it was that's what I'm saying, and that's a great problem to have is that it was tough to cut down that rotation so that you know you feel like you're giving the right amount of minutes to the right guys. But at the end of the day, there's going to be games where someone's shortchanged because there is more talent depth to this team. And so it was really hard to find the right minutes for Aaron Neesmith, the right minutes for Josh Richardson, for Peyton Pritchard, for, you know, whoever it might be. There's there's a handful of guys that you know are going to be set in, you know, a certain time. But other than that, there's a lot of variability on the back end of this roster. And so, you know, spots five through nine are going to be a dogfight to go ahead and get those minutes. Uh, and Ime is going to have a lot of flexibility with what he can do depending on the matchup. Just as an aside, I've just had an email from Twitter support. They've removed my verification. Wait, what? How is... I, first of all, I didn't know that was the thing. And... Seriously, literally, as you were talking to me, it's just popped up. Well, I'm sorry, bro. That's Oh, man, it is what it is, dude. After a recent review, we've determined that your Twitter account was incorrectly verified. The blue badge has been removed from your account. All right, all guys. Right. Here, all right, here's the deal. We're stopping the podcast here for a second. What we need to do, we need to get at Twitter and get our guy recertified because that's some, that's some BS. We, we try not to swear on this podcast. I'm holding it together here. We we, we got to get on this here. That's that's not right. Uh, but it is what it is, man. I'm just a bit like, yo, <laughs> what the hell? I know. And after all, after the celebration of the last podcast, I know, too. Right? <laughs> like, yo, what, I, I don't understand this. It is what it is. Let's continue with the show. People we'll can we'll, show we'll get back to that. Fury. Yeah, <laughs> people can show their fury with, with in their own time. But um, where were we? We were talking about some of the rotations, oh, but 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 with that, I'm gonna help you out, Adam. Good transition here. One of the spots that could be a little fluid, as you and Greg talked about the other day, is that backup power forward spot, where obviously the trade for Juan Hernan Gomez was made. Which I always I like I like having Wancho because I start thinking of Nacho Libre in my head. Nacho, Wancho. I don't know. That that was probably unpleasant to hear in your ear, so I apologize in advance. But between Wancho. And Jabari Parker was, I think, the one of the few areas where you and Greg saw it a little bit differently as to maybe who might get more minutes to start with. And I think that's one of the last few spots within the rotation that the Celtics needed to shore up. And I think Hernan Gomez does that. You know, who are you feeling has the edge into getting more minutes, at least to start the season between the two? I think Hernan Gomez has that little bit of an edge. I do. I think that with the floor spacing that he provides, the size he provides, I, I feel like um, he's been miscast in his last two positions. I think it didn't work out for him in Minnesota. didn't work out for him in Memphis. Again, I was speaking about this earlier on, um, on a YouTube I was doing. In Minnesota, they don't play a brand of basketball that suited his skill set. Like they've got guys like Anthony Edwards that's trying to drive the lane and pull up and shoot. They've got Carl Anthony Towns that's their floor spacing big. They don't mm-hmm. need Juancho. You need so I just don't see that as indicative of his skill set because I just don't think the fit was there. Then he went to Memphis, who have guys like Xavier Tillman. They had Jonas Valanciunas. They had their floor stretching bigs already on the roster, so they were asking Hernan Gomez to do a little bit from the outside and then work a little bit from the post, and that's not really who he is as a player either. So I think that coming into Boston, where they needed a floor stretching big. 
They needed somebody to play at the four and allow Al Horford, that isn't an elite three-point shooter, but can get stuff done at a very acceptable range. I think that's where Hernan Gomez is going to come in and have that little bit of an edge. Yeah, I, I think just when you look at this team, he's the better skill fit. He fills a bigger need. And on top of that, he's the better asset. So, you know, Jabari Parker, he's non-guaranteed. And if he's on the roster, he's about a million dollars. There's, you know, when it comes to him being an asset, not not really too much that, that you can do with that. Either either he works out or he doesn't. It is what it is, especially for that last spot. If you get a guy like Jabari Parker who, you know, has an immense amount of talent. And actually, you know what, I'm going to add this is really crazy. I looked it up earlier. I was going to say one of the reasons that uh, Hernan Gomez I like more than Parker is his age. How old do you think Jabari Parker is? Isn't he about 25? He's 26, man. It's crazy. Yeah. He he feels he's one of these handful of guys across the league that just feels like he's been in the league for so much longer because he's had so much happen to him yeah, in such a so short broken. amount of time. It's it's really brutal, man. Like, you know, uh, Greg Monroe is a guy like that. Um, you know, there's a few others you can go back and find where you feel like they're in their 30s and they're on their last contract. It's like, man, this guy's 26. He was the number two pick in between Wiggins and Embiid. Like, and it was a debate as to, you know, where it was. But, you know, injuries take their toll, and it is what it is. But, you know, having said all of that, you know, Hernan Gomez is making $7 million. He's non-guaranteed next year. So, you know, if you're getting uh, production out of Hernan Gomez, you have multiple ways that you can play that, whether he's a part of this team this year and next year. He becomes a contract that you can mix in either with another contract to go get something or you can attach him maybe to a TPE and go get something. So I, I think getting value out of Hernan Gomez has – there's more ways to do that, whereas Jabari Parker, I think – for me, I, I think of him almost in the canter mold where these are pretty good reserves to the reserves to have for when you need to call on them. And maybe there's a moment where Jabari Parker is needed as a small ball five. He needs some more scoring. You know, Enos Cantor has his own ways that he'd be able to contribute. But these are guys that I don't think we'll expect to see on a night-to-night basis. But if you see them, you know, sprinkled throughout a five-game stretch here and there, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think they could also be, you know, a very valuable third-line reserve in their positions. So with Jabari Parker, for me, I think his biggest asset on this rotation behind, behind Jason Tatum is simply he can get his own shot, he can find he can create his own looks. And that's something that Hernan Gomez isn't going to be able to do. It's something Grant Williams cannot do. It's something that and um you know most of the other big wing rotations, the guys that can slide up or slide down to the power forward, that is a skill that they do not possess. So I feel like Jabari Parker will get minutes simply because he can create his own offense. And as Cantor can create his own offense in terms of offensive rebounding and putbacks. But you can put the ball in Jabari Parker's hand in the mid to low post and completely respect the fact that he's going to be able to generate offensive outlooks for himself. I'm not too comfortable with him shooting threes, but if you want to get in that mid-range type of area, I'm very comfortable with that. And that's why I feel he will get minutes. And if Hernan Gomez doesn't find a fit in this roster, I could quite easily see him fall into third and Parker taking that step back to the fourth spot. I also think both are going to be good to package in the trade. I don't think neither of these guys are going to be good enough to get stuff done in a deep playoff run. I still yeah, think, I agree with that. I still think the power forward position is the weakest position. I still think that if Aaron Gordon doesn't figure it out in in Denver between now and February, well, his contract fits right into that TPE. Let's just take another flyer like they did on Fournier and you know, put, package a couple of expiring deals to give Denver a little bit more depth going into their postseason and take Aaron Gordon and see if you can make that work. I still think that these moves have definitely shored up what was a leaky position to begin with, but it's also meant that 
as the season progresses, you can attack for a, a power forward that's actually going to be uh, second man in that power forward rotation. Right now, you're just tired of taking the scraps and seeing what you can mold together to create something that's semi-passable as uh, an offensive and defensive threat. So while I am happy with Hernan Gomez, I also don't believe that the two that him and Parker are answers in any postseason run or any long-term power forward option. Yeah, I think we're on the same page here. We, we've upgraded the position, but it's still a position of need. But sending out guys like Carson Edwards and Chris Dunn that were going to be those third-line guards where you have a plethora of guards and additional ball-handling wings that can fill in with some of those duties and responsibilities, that going ahead and trading them for a guy that can play in the rotation and can, even if he doesn't solve the problem, alleviate some of the problems on a temporary basis, that's an upgrade. And that's a great move by Brad Stevens. And I think that's what it comes down to. The opportunities there, it improves the roster in a way that you weren't going to be able to do internally with any type of growth. You don't have any really young players. I mean, you could technically say Grant could could fill some of those needs, but I, I, even, even with his improvement, he's a small ball five to me, which is different than what we're going to get from, from Hernan Gomez and what we need in that backup position. From Jason uh, to Jason Tatum, I should say. So, you know, I I'm with you. Problems not solved, but gives you more options as to how you can solve it and how you can adjust on the fly throughout the season. I think my biggest concern is the fact that two of the three backup power forward spots are more successful as small ball fives. I think that's where my biggest concern comes from. Grant Williams to me is a small ball five. Put him at the power forward, he gets yeah. hooked. You saw it all last season. Unless he's really improved his lateral quickness, that's not going to change between uh, a few months back and next month when the season starts back up. Jabari Parker's defensive limitations are uh, kind of not hidden, but maybe a little bit alleviated at the small ball five because he doesn't need to be as quick laterally to play drop defense. He And he also has a bit of mobility where he can shuttle between low help line and high help mm-hmm. line up backwards and forwards. His shuttle runs look quite good. So that really just leaves Hernan Gomez at that point, if you start thinking. And that's where my biggest issue is. I still think it's the biggest concern. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I mean, to, to this point, Adam. Talking about this. Yeah, I mean, to this point, though, this brings us back to one of the earlier points that you made from last pod. This is where that double big experiment comes in. And, you know, maybe really the third power forward on this team is Al Horford. You know, you're looking at Jason Tatum as the starter, maybe Hernan Gomez as the backup, and then, and then maybe you really have Al Horford as the third power forward, and you really look at Grant and Jabari just as those small ball fives. I mean, I think if we were to end up in, you know, if this were to immediately become, you know, a playoff scenario, that's probably what you're looking at. I, I don't think you would see much of Grant or Jabari in a in a power forward position, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's that's where my biggest concern is, right? Like because then that that rotation is deceptive because what you're looking at as three or four man deep is really Juancho Hernan Gomez sitting behind Jason Tatum. And that's where my concerns are. And I get it. Basketball isn't defined by five positions anymore. It's more positionless than that. It's more about you've got your, your guard, your wings, your bigs. I understand all of that. I, I actually buy into that version of basketball analysis personally. But when you're looking at it as a positional like roster battle, who's fighting for what position and where a minute's coming from, well, then you have to go back to traditional mm-hmm. point guard, shooting guard, blah, blah, blah. And when I do that and I actually sit down with a pen and paper and I'm like, well, actually, no, this guy's a small ball five. That goes in their own category. Yeah. yeah and when you look at the wings on this roster, like we have, I, I love our stable of wings, 
But outside of Jason Tatum, there's not really that 6'7 to 6'9 wing that you typically kind of slot up into that traditional power forward sense. There's a lot of guys that are in that 6'6, 6'7 range, Jalen, Neesmith. Uh, you know, Romeo's only 6'4, Richardson's in that 6'5, 6'6 range. So a lot of versatility on the wing, and there's a lot of length, but not necessarily the same amount of size that you may need at different points. Uh, and so that's where I think the concern comes in that you need to actually have some sort of, of tr- more traditional power forward. Yeah, and I think that makes complete sense. Like, I can't argue with the with the logic behind that. What I would say is that I would much rather lose some size and improve skill. Yeah. Because there's enough size on this roster now. There's a lot of wingspan on this roster now. And I think wingspan size is slowly becoming more important than size in terms of height within the league. Um, when you're looking at the fact that, like, obviously Kawhi is like an extreme example here. <laughs> yeah. I, I was doing some research on Kawhi for something I'm writing about at the moment for another outlet. And it's like Kawhi's vertical is only 35 inches. It's a very basic, like, average vertical. It's the fact that he's got a seven foot one wingspan that makes yeah. him such an elite jumper. Because when he jumps, his arms are ridiculous and his wingspan. And I think that. And his hands are enormous. 11.5 inches wide and nine and a half inches long. It's insane. Um, it's ridiculous, dude. I can palm 75% of a basketball circumference. You see the <laughs> stuff I've been looking into? Yeah, um, man. That, that's deep. That's deep. That makes it feel it's probably like one of us gripping a tennis ball. Yo, seriously, dude. But my, my outlook on it is that if you can build a team full of average height, 6'6 six, six, six to 6'11, 6'10, 6'11, with good, like 8% increased wingspan ratio to body length, then you're going to be a much sterner team on defense than having a couple of guys that are bordering on seven foot that are slow footed. And, and that's where I'm kind of looking at. So if you need to move on from Pancho and bring in somebody, like Aaron Gordon, then that might make sense. Defense. Yo, that, that's going to be the hot name. It feels like the Adam Taylor oh. hot name special. Aaron Gordon all year long. <laughs> I just got a feeling it's not going to work in Denver. That's all. That's all. <laughs> I mean, with the Jamal Murray injury, I think there's there's a high probability that that could be the case. So you know, I think it's extremely fair. That's a number. That's a that's a guy to keep an eye on. But maybe that's a maybe that's a topic we say for later in the week. Is some guys to keep an eye on with that with that TPE. We got we got some time to fill before the season starts, Adam. Yeah, I'm completely down, dude. I'm completely down. Um, I think I'm going to check out here because my phone's blowing up because I tweeted at Twitter asking them why they decided to be so mean. Um, Let's get it. Everybody, retweet. Go ahead. Get on Twitter. We're getting Adam that check mark back. By the time we get back on this podcast, Adam should have that check mark back. It is what it is. I just find it quite, uh, quite funny. But, uh, you know, it's a vanity metric. I'm not going to get too sad about it. I'm not going to be like, I'm never tweeting again, man. <laughs> it's, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, so if you've been, enjoyed this episode, sorry that it went off the rails towards the end. Um, you can catch us again on Friday. As usual, if you're using an Apple device, please leave that five-star written review and rating. If you're not using an Apple device, word of mouth is perfect for us. You know, your friend, your neighbor, your colleague, your waiter, your Uber driver, your lecturer, your boyfriend's mom, your girlfriend's brother, your aunt's uncle's second cousin twice removed, whoever it may be, just tell them, hey, check out this show. Also, if you prefer to watch rather than listen, we're now posting episode, full episodes onto onto YouTube. You can search for the YouTube t- um, channel, Adam Taylor NBA. Yes, I'm very original. Well, <laughs> why don't you leave us out for the rest of the show, man? 
Yeah, man. Everybody remember, go uh, go check Adam's Twitter feed. We're going to go ahead and make this blue check mark reappear. We're going to go ahead and, and get Celtics Pod Nation on it, Celtics Blog Pod Nation. Let's go ahead and mount up for our guy, Adam. Uh, but happy to join y'all. Y'all have a great rest of the week, and I'll actually I'll see you guys on Friday. So see y'all soon. Disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down One play at a time, keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors Still, he chased greatness, expected that he might fail And I might too, I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, the 